This is African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Hello and welcome. Welcome to Africa News Tonight from the English to Africa service of The Voice of America, your source for Pan-African news and world developments. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. Coming up on African News Tonight... And I think that's intentional. I think that, that uh, all sides are trying to limit the amount of outside influence and interference that, that might happen. That's Cameron Hudson, Senior Associate at the Center for Strategic and International Studies in Washington, on the reasons for the secrecy of the Ethiopia Tigray peace talks. Details coming up also. Internet services are shut down today in Sudan as protesters mark a year since the coup. And policymakers from around the world discuss Africa's most pressing security challenges. We'll have these stories and more on African News tonight. Our top story, talks between the Ethiopian government and the Tigray People's Liberation Front, the TPLF, are underway in South Africa amid secrecy and high security. Negotiations facilitated by the African Union are aimed at trying to end the nearly two-year-old war. Human rights organizations say up to 800,000 people have died in Ethiopia's northern Tigray region, where Eritrean troops are fighting alongside Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed's troops. Darren Taylor reports. The TPLF accuses Ahmed's administration of genocide in Tigray because the people of the region are its political enemies. The TPLF dominated Ethiopian politics for almost three decades until it lost an election in 2018. Previous attempts to bring the warring sides together have failed, with conflict continuing to increase in Tigray. The region's people are facing starvation, and human rights groups say all sides have committed atrocities, including rape and executions. African affairs expert at the University of South Africa, Sipo Mantula, is monitoring the negotiations. The EU, the UN, the US are part of the international community who have a vested interest in these talks. When you talk of Kenya, we see that America has been engaging with William Ruto about what is happening in South Africa, and nobody knows it in the venue of the talk. On Sunday, U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken said he spoke with the Kenyan president and South African foreign minister Naledi Pandor about prospects for peace in Tigray. Mantula says the talks have gotten off to a slow start because the TPLF delegation in particular was concerned about security. Also, he says, the TPLF's deep mistrust of former Nigerian president Olusegun Obasanjo, appointed by the AU to promote peace in the Horn of Africa, has delayed masses. If the mediators are not being accepted by the parties, it's going to have a problem. Obasanjo still remains that critical person that has been briefing the UN, the AU, the EU and the US. And his impartiality has been questioned at some point by TPLF. Urukinata also, the federal government has been concerned with his allegiance to the Tigray. The AU tasked Obasanjo, Kenyatta and former South African Deputy President Pumzile Mlambo Nbuka with steering the talks. 
But Mantula says he isn't convinced they understand the history of Ethiopian politics and the deep dislike, even hatred, between the opposing forces. The mediators have to be intimate with this conflict. They have to understand the push and the pull factors. Because once you have mediators who cannot grasp with the key issues of this conflict, then we'll have almost another year of this talk. He expects the TPLF's first demands to be an immediate ceasefire in Tigray and the withdrawal of Eritrean forces. If the Ethiopian government delegation accedes to these, says Mantula, the talks could happen in a positive atmosphere. The issue is to lay down the ground rules of the engagement, look at the time frame. There is a need for cessation of hostilities. So when the talks goes on, you need to be saying the guns have been silenced in the Tigray region. Humanitarian aid being given to Tigray. So when you go to the talks, you need to... But in the run-up to these negotiations, the guns have been blazing. Federal forces have launched airstrikes and recaptured several major towns, possibly setting the scene for an assault on the Tigrayan capital, Mekele. If the Ethiopian government team acts victorious and superior, says Mantula, the talks will collapse before they've even started properly. For VOA News, I'm Darren Taylor in Johannesburg. The White House press secretary said yesterday the United States has been intensely involved diplomatically and has supported the launch of the talks, adding U.S. Special Envoy for the Horn of Africa, Mike Hammer, has been in the region for a couple of weeks and is participating in the meetings. The White House called the crisis in northern Ethiopia one of the worst humanitarian crises in the world. Cameron Hudson, senior associate at the Center for Strategic and International Studies in Washington, tells VOA's Carol Van Dam. It is not surprising that the talks, mediated by the African Union, are shrouded in secrecy, noting it's probably the third round of talks held between the two sides, the first being in Djibouti and then in the Seychelles, without anyone ever knowing they were happening. It's essentially in keeping with the secretiveness of of the talks that we don't have great uh, insight into where the talks are being held, or even even what the full delegation list looks like right now. Um, and I think that's intentional. I think that, that uh, all sides are trying to limit the amount of outside influence and interference that, that might happen um, around the talks. And certainly the hosts of the talks want to keep the parties uh, really focused on uh, the task at hand, which is reaching a, some, some kind of mediated ceasefire, um, and not be drawn by extremist camps on one side or the other. Do you have a clue as to who is seated at that table, the negotiating table? I'm assuming there's a, a U.S. official or two there. Well, we know that the U.S. Special Envoy for the Horn of Africa, uh, Mike Hammer, is there. The The message that, that has been passed around is that a U.S. military plane out of uh, Djibouti, from our, our base in Djibouti, uh, flew to Tigray, landed uh, there with uh, Ambassador Hammer on board, and has escorted the Tigrayan delegation uh, to the talks in South Africa, essentially serving uh, as a guarantor of their, of at least their travel, if not their safety overall. And do you read anything into that? The fact that the U.S. envoy is escorting the TPLF negotiators to the talks? 
Well, I don't think it should be viewed as uh, the United States showing favorites. I think that what it what it demonstrates is that the United States has a very sincere desire uh, to see the Tigrayans uh, there at the talks to to give them a voice, certainly, but also to to help find a way out of the current uh, crisis that we are in. And so the United States is, you know, putting in uh, serious investment in in credibility, uh, because I, I think that Washington would not take this step if they didn't believe that the Tigrayans were enter in, entering into these talks in good faith and a willingness to to negotiate. I don't think they would have uh, made the offer of bringing them there. What chances do you give of them coming out with some kind of negotiated settlement out of these talks? Well, I think we have to be uh, careful about how high our expectations are, especially early on. There is every possibility that the government of Ethiopia and their allies in the Eritrean government are using these talks uh, to help extend their time on the battlefield. Uh, and uh, we know from reporting that they're in fact very close to a military victory uh, in Tigray. We're hearing every day about additional Tigrayan cities that are falling uh, to the Ethiopian and Eritrean forces. We're hearing more and more about uh, mass civilian displacement. And it's very clear that the government of Ethiopia and Eritrea seek a military solution to this conflict. And if they can use these talks uh, to provide themselves with the, the, the space on the battlefield to try to conduct a military victory, then I think that they're trying to do that. So we, you know, we should be really wide eyed as we go into these talks that there could be other motives at play, uh, which is what sparked these talks. That's Cameron Hudson, a senior associate at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. He was speaking to my colleague Carol Van Dam from Bamako, the capital of Mali. Former United Kingdom Treasury Chief Rishi Sunak won the race to become the new Prime Minister on Monday, the third since the summer and the nation's first non-white leader. To brief us on the matter, we have uh, on uh, on the line Venust Shishimana in London. Uh, welcome to African News tonight, Venust. Thank you for having me, Yehayesh. So, talk to us about this multi-millionaire former hedge fund boss and the first Hindu to take the top job in the United Kingdom. Of course, here we are with the first uh, Asian of uh, origin prime minister for over uh, two centuries. And people here think that um, these will completely change the narrative for black, Asian, and minority ethnic communities. He's um, becoming an inspiration for future generations. Uh, Rishi here in London is perceived as uh, someone who is a likable character who will, as he said, work days in and days out to unite this country. But of course, as you know, the main challenge, uh, as uh, he called it, is the financial crisis that Britain is sinking in now. But they all believe, people that I spoke to believe that uh, he has the best outlook of the future to address the problem. So what, what is the problem? What is he supposed to address? 
Of course, we'll be addressing these financial crises, but uh, it is not only that. Uh, among the top priorities, uh, as he said in his first uh, statement, uh, he pledged for a stronger uh, NHS, uh, for a better for, for better schools, um, and safer uh, street, and a good control of immigration. So, uh, immigration is among the top problem, the top priorities of his government, as clearly indicated. And just to take an example, yes, Rishi Sunak has vowed to make the plan of sending immigrant, uh, immigrant uh, to Rwanda. He wanted this plan to happen. And he wanted that those who are trying to sneak into Britain, that their journey will eventually end in Kigali, not in London. And I can tell you that this was before he became prime minister. Now that he is in number 10 Downing Street, as he said in the summer, if I become your prime minister, both full of migrants coming from safe European countries should stop. Sunak uh, has already promised integrity, professionalism and accountability, a contrast to the chaos of his two recent predecessors, over both of whom he had sounded alarm. Uh, I'm just curious, uh, Venust, what are the people uh, on the street uh, thinking about this uh, new person, new, this dashing, youthful looks, sharp suits and smooth, confident manner? Yes, he is very confident. They think that he will deliver. And he has started already to deliver during the COVID-19 um, uh, period where he was trying to help businesses to survive and families to, to survive. And they believe that he's the man now who can address what he said is a profound financial crisis. He's, uh, when he talks about accountability, you remember he left the government where he was uh, as a chancellor, saying that he have to be accountable to the people. He left the government. Now he's in as a prime minister, promised to be accountable. He wanted to deliver. He wanted to unite, but he wanted also to make sure that British people are at the head of what he does, making sure that the, the NHS is strong, as he said, that our streets are safer, and that also kids went go to good schools. Uh, and uh, I can tell you here yes, that um, uh, Rishi Sunak he, he could be the first ever Asian uh, prime minister, but uh, there are other top uh, uh, officials here in London who are of uh, uh, Asian origin. I can name the, 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 the chancellor, the chancellor of Tower Hamlet is from Bangladesh. We have got uh, the mayor of London who is from, uh, uh, from uh, uh, Pakistan. This shows again that uh, London has become a multiracial place where people can evolve. It has become a land of opportunities. Times are changing. Venus Himimana from London. Thank you for your input. You're welcome.
policy makers from around the world have met in Senegal to discuss Africa's most pressing security challenges this year. Attendees of an annual conference focused on redefining the role international partners play when it comes to promoting stability in Africa. Anika Hammerschlag reports from the conference in Diamino Adio, Senegal. A troop of dancing women dressed in black and orange boo-boos greeted the more than 1,000 participants of the 8th edition of the International Forum of Dakar on Peace and Security. Attendees included the heads of state from Cape Verde, Angola, and Guinea-Bissau, as well as high-ranking officials from Japan, Saudi Arabia, and France. The event opened with a speech from Senegalese president and chairman of the African Union, Macky Sall, who spoke about the need to re-examine modern peace operations. If UN peacekeepers are attacked on their own bases, they can't be expected to protect local populations, he said. He emphasized that the root cause of instability must be addressed. Threats to peace and stability lie in the deep economic crisis that is shaking the world, he says. Millions of people can no longer bear the cost of living, and others fall into extreme poverty with no hope of a better future. The solution, he said, is to educate and create employment for Africa's growing youth population. The conference took place in the wake of France's withdrawal of military forces from Mali and ongoing criticism of UN missions throughout the region. Militant Islamic violence in Africa has doubled since 2019, with a record 6,300 incidents in 2022, a 21% increase over last year, according to U.S. Department of Defense Research Group, the Africa Center for Strategic Studies. The Sahel has been the most impacted, with violent events quadrupling over the same period. Across the continent, close to 15,000 people have died this year from extremist-linked violence a nearly 50% increase from 2019. Aude Darnal is a fellow with the Stimson Center, a Washington-based research organization. Solutions need to be defined by um, local actors. It needs to be implemented also by local actors. International stakeholders should support, but the leadership needs to come from Africa. Nadia Adam, a Sahel analyst for the nonprofit Center for Civilians in Conflict, said solutions must be built from the inside. Most African countries, and especially the youth, now want to take decisions from themselves. They, they want to be part of the change. And they have the capacity. More people are educated. Government officials attending the conference reiterated that message. Chidi Blyden is the U.S. Assistant Secretary of Defense for African Affairs. In a speech, she quoted a Creole saying from Sierra Leone, which translates to, when and if there's a problem, look exactly where you're standing. Some of the problems reside there, but more importantly, the solution probably resides there as well. The continent is full of African solutions to global problems. The forum also addressed how to decrease Africa's dependence on international food aid and become more resistant to external shocks, such as the war in Ukraine. Conference workshops ran through Tuesday. Anik Hammerschlag for VOA News, Tiemna Jiao, Senegal. Sudan's military authorities shut down Internet services today as thousands of protesters in the capital Khartoum and other cities marked a year since a coup installed General Abdel Fattah al-Burhan as interim leader. Near-weekly protests have followed, demanding that power be handed back to civilians. The coup disrupted Sudan's transition to democracy following the ouster of longtime military ruler Omar al-Bashir in a popular protest in April 2019. 
months of negotiations led by the African Union, the UN and IGAD to end the civilian military stalemate have failed to yield an agreement. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken released a statement yesterday rejecting military rule, adding, We stand ready to use all the tools at our disposal against those who seek to derail progress towards Sudan's democratic transition. Startups and small and medium-sized enterprises are changing the way Africa does business through innovation and technology. From agriculture, telecommunication, health, and so many sectors, young entrepreneurs are infusing vibrancy and energy into the African economy. Big business is watching and ready to support. Through the 2022 Africa Digital Innovation Competition, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and its prestigious partners are providing cash awards and mentorship support to three of Africa's top innovators chosen from 17,000 candidates from 50 countries in North, Central, East, West and Southern Africa. The Voice of America interviewed the top 10 candidates from where the finalists will be picked. Here is one of them. My name is Fangana Ade, 29 years of age. I'm currently one of the co-founders and CEO of Shopper a B2B e-commerce business here in Africa. Part of the reason why we applied to the U.S. Chamber of Commerce um, African Business Unit is for us to get the needed support and the needed resources we need to be able to digitize the informal retail space here in Africa. Being part of the top 10 is the validation that we need. It gives us the confidence to be able to convince ourselves that we are actually onto something big and we can't wait to be able to see the change we want to see in the industry. Shopper is digitizing the informal retail space here in Africa by connecting manufacturers of fast-moving consumer goods to informal retailers through our micro-distribution centers. So Shopper's platform allows these retailers to be able to, one, source inventory directly from manufacturers or suppliers through our micro-distribution centers and have it delivered to their shop within four hours. They also get to access credit facility on our platform in the form of working capital financing to be able to grow their business and also other financial services such as insurance. An example would be when we launched our business in 2020, uh, one retailer, prior to the introduction of our credit, used to place an order on average between $11 on a weekly basis. But after we introduced our credits over time, she's been able to move from $11 on a weekly basis to now $150 in terms of other size. Now, this is the growth we want to see on the lives of these informal retailers by moving from a small shop to a medium shop. Winning this challenge is going to be a game changer for us because we are going to have access to the right resources, the right mentorship and the right partners to be able to grow our business. Winning this challenge is going to ensure that we have enough resources to be able to escalate the credit offering and also be able to escalate our credit offerings by expanding to new areas and also tapping into the expertise the U.S. Chamber of Commerce would make available to us for us to be able to build a solution we want to build. That was Frank Nana Ade from Ghana. His company, Shopa, is a business-to-business e-commerce system that provides financial services to small informal grocery shops. It helps them get access to supplies and manufacturers. The company is one of the 10 finalists in the Africa Digital Innovation Competition for African Startups organized by the U.S. Chamber of Commerce's U.S. Africa Business Center.
An attack yesterday on an army base in northern Burkina Faso has left at least 10 soldiers dead and about 50 wounded. Reuters says the attack took place in Djibo. An army statement says the attackers came in large numbers and at least 18 were killed. Air support has been deployed to the area to provide relief. Observers say the attacks were likely carried out by extremists linked to Al-Qaeda and Islamic State. And that wraps up this edition of African News Tonight. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. For all the latest developments on the continent 24-7, visit our website at voaafrica.com. On behalf of our producer, Mokbilia Baro, and our engineer, Bill Androdi, thanks for choosing the Voice of America.